My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory John the Baptist appeared preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barns. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The other night I was at a wedding rehearsal dinner and at the table I found myself out there were a lot of friends of the bride and the groom, including a few that they knew from their Catholic young adult group. And honestly, this group of Catholic young adults is probably the the model of what so many of our graduates from here are looking for after being part of Newman for four years. It's a group of their peers who are just serious about their Catholic faith. They have Times they gather together for Eucharistic adoration, they have Bible studies, they have theology on tap, which is like our Newman night, but at a bar and with alcohol, obviously. Um, and they have all kinds of social gatherings, like they have their own volleyball teams and stuff. So I was really just incredibly impressed with the whole program and all the people that I was able to meet from there. In fact, that's how the bride and groom had met. So at our table was this group of young adult Catholics who... Also sitting right next to me was this very good friend of the groom, who I'll call Bob, who's known the groom for for years. Now that Bob didn't know the rest of the group at the table, and all these guys were going to be ushers for the wedding kind of piqued their interest. Being friends and of similar age, and their paths had not crossed before, they're like, well, have we not seen you at adoration? Did we miss you at a trivia night or something? Well, turns out that Bob was, as he described it, raised in a Protestant church, but now had given up on 
all organized religion and was a fallen away Christian as he described it. The reason I know all this was that the Catholic friends at one point, after a few drinks, I might add, got into what started out as a conversation about matters of faith. And it started very innocently enough. People were very respectfully listening to Bob describe that he appreciated things about his Christian upbringing and there were things that he admired about the Catholic faith. But then very slowly, things started to turn and got a little more lively and turned into like a mini debate. Questions like, well, what don't you like about the Catholic faith? Well, what do you mean you gave up on organized religion? Don't, you, don't, you don't consider yourself Christian anymore? You just talked about how you read Dante's Inferno. Aren't you afraid you're going to go to hell? It started to seem or feel a little bit like an interrogation. Now, having thankfully survived a plane ride, in case you don't know, I have a ridiculous fear of air travel that even now still causes severe mental stress. So at any rate, I uncharacteristically had decided I was not even going to have a glass of wine. I was exhausted. I wanted to have a good night's sleep that night. I wanted to be in tip-top shape for the wedding and all. So I share that not because everyone at the table was drunk or anything, but definitely the, the, the wine was flowing and the conversation was getting very loose as long as, as well as that wine. So the Catholics at the table were very sincere and they were very genuine in that they wanted Bob, who was a friend of their friend, to enjoy the beauty of our faith and the importance of it to our eternal souls. I truly believe that they didn't realize how aggressive they were getting and how defensive Bob was becoming. And I sincerely don't think that the focus on Bob was intended to be a modern-day Inquisition, the original Inquisition being one of the things that Bob cited as a problem he had with the religion. But I couldn't help but feel more and more like I was on Bob's side of this now debate with my fellow Catholics. Because at the heart of all that Bob was saying and trying to say was revealing a man who was searching and was still seeking. And as now dinner was now served and people kind of returned to their respective seats and corners and it was more just Bob and I sitting next to each other and he's still trying to process all that had just happened with this Catholic priest who's a complete stranger sitting next to him. He said something like, well, I guess if I die tomorrow, Father Jim, all of you... And all of you are right, I'm going to hell. And it was just so jarring to me. It's kind of hard to say pass the bread after someone says something like that. (laughs) In a lot of ways, this rehearsal dinner, though, kind of reminded me of what we find in tonight's gospel. Every year, we hear about the figure of John the Baptist during these middle weeks of Advent. And for the most part, we kind of assign him to simply the role of the one preparing the way for Jesus, which in Catholic trivia or on a a quick quiz in CCD would probably be enough to say that's a correct answer. But what exactly was John doing in trying to help prepare the way for Jesus? John the Baptist was a man who was striving for holiness himself. Being a cousin of Jesus, having been born into a family that had the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph as relatives, That's pretty spectacular and would probably be an obvious blessing to his own faith life. But not to forget, his own parents were devout, faithful Jews as well. Zechariah had been a high priest. Elizabeth, his mother, was this humble, prayerful woman. 
When Elizabeth conceived John in her old age, after Elizabeth was long thought sterile and beyond the childbearing years, and an angel delivers this news to Zechariah in the temple, he doubts this and expresses his doubt to an angel. Now, let's just pause right there and just let that sink in. Okay, Zechariah is a priest. He's in the temple, the holiest place in the world, the only place they believe that God dwelt on earth among his people. Zechariah is performing his temple duties when an angel appears to him. And he says, finally, the greatest of longings that his wife and he had carried throughout their entire married life together, that they thought were long dead and would simply remain unfulfilled. When an angel tells Zechariah this, this impossible thing was happening, he doubts. Long story short, Zechariah would eventually believe. When the baby comes, it kind of dispels that real quickly. Uh, but, you know, but he would experience all that God was trying to accomplish and would be able to rejoice in that. It's important to remember that what Zechariah's biggest mistake was, was what he was doing as a religious Jewish priest wasn't wrong to that point, but he didn't realize how narrow his views had become. He had stopped searching and stopped seeking for God because he thought he had found him and that he knew him, which he had to a point, but only to a point. And at that point, Zechariah was limiting God to something very containable and comprehensible and explainable and manageable. Zechariah didn't realize, and in doing so, he was missing so much more of the beauty and the vastness and the mystery not to be understood. The questions not meant to be answered, but to be moved to wonder and awe over all that God is. And that's what John the Baptist's background is. So now you put those details out and you have this guy who's out in the wilderness. He's basically renounced all the things of the world, knowing how passing and futile they all are. He's living on locusts and honey and dressed in camel hair. St. Matthew isn't just trying to paint a picture with that. It's his way of telling us he was dedicated to a life of fasting and prayer. And he's not on the street in downtown Jerusalem. He's in the desert of Judea. And you hear people are going out to him. Well, why? Because they were searching and seeking for something more. Something was off for them in their religious practices. Something wasn't quite clicking for them in the preaching and teaching they were receiving. The religious leaders and teachers of their time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, had them maniacally focused on following rituals and purity laws, which were were based on commands of the Lord, and all started off from a good place. Following God's laws is a good thing and something we should all be doing. And they knew that it had been their ancestors' disobedience throughout the millennia that had preceded them that had caused disaster upon disaster and heartbreak and destruction. So now, the religious leaders and teachers of their day went to the other extreme in terms of being faithful and obedient, arguing over the most minute of details, not realizing that they had limited their visions of God. They were making him something that they thought was containable and comprehensible and explainable 
and manageable as well. Too often when, when I've come to this gospel, I've kind of found myself looking at how John the Baptist just goes right after the Pharisees and Sadducees by calling them a brood of vipers, which and we don't really know what vipers are. Just if you look it up, you Google it, it's a really devastating insult, to be honest. So, And it, that was not lost on them. But the only reason it was so dramatic is that it seemed so surprising. They were the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the so-thought experts who wouldn't need any advice from this eccentric man in the wilderness to get called out in such a way. But what John the Baptist reminds us is that the life of faith is not something we ever completely get on this side of life. God is constantly calling us to look out further, to have our visions expanded, to being moved to wonder and awe at all that he is, all that he does, all that he, he wishes for us to experience and accomplish. To never think that we've got him figured out. To never stop searching and seeking for him. My experience the other night at that rehearsal dinner made me realize how easy it is for us to do that. Like I said, I don't think the Catholics at the table were trying to, that were trying to convert Bob were modern-day brood of vipers, <laughs> but I could imagine for Bob it might have felt that way. As Providence would have it, Bob would end up driving me back to the hotel after dinner, which a 20-minute car ride turned into close to an hour due to late-night road construction delays, which was very pleasant, I might add. And he talked about all kinds of things. He talked about his job, how he liked working on his cars, how he was keeping the car that we happened to be driving at at that point, which was 25 years old and over 200,000 miles, which I now selfishly had a lot of interest in and hoping that this would provide another 15 miles or so. Anyway, he couldn't have been more patient with the traffic or having to take me, this complete stranger, out of his way on his way home to this hotel so that I could avoid another Uber fee. But one of the things I said to him before saying goodbye after the wedding was, wasn't just thank you for being so thoughtful and generous in providing the ride, but but to thank him for reminding me that all of us aren't meant to ever believe for a second we've got God all figured out. And just to keep sincerely asking questions and the importance of seeking and searching for him. I also said, keep close to the bride and groom and just being open and vulnerable to them and talk with them perhaps without so much wine in a little bit more peaceful of a setting. Anyway, but that's the purpose of Advent and what John the Baptist means to prepare us for. Yes, in Jesus Christ, we have found the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that with every fiber of my being, such that I've laid down my life faithfully trying to live into that mystery. But I know my own journey has had its own peaks and valleys and twists and turns. And I know that that's not done perfectly on my part. So despite my teaching and authority I've been entrusted with as a priest, I need to hear John the Baptist's words just as much as the most basic of newcomers searching for meaning, for those looking for any relationship with God, or those who are just looking for the most basic understanding of who he is, which starts with the word repent. 
How have I allowed my heart and my mind and vision to be turned from pursuing God? How have I narrowed my focus? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to confess and be forgiven of? All so that I can come to know and experience and to love Jesus in a new way this Christmas.